In Matthew chapter 4, we're going to look at uh, this morning. Matthew chapter 4. Let's just ask God to bless his word. We just thank you, Lord, for your word. And we just pray that you would speak powerfully through it today to our hearts. And help us, preacher and hearer alike, to be shaped and moulded by the teaching from this word. In the Saviour's name we pray. Amen. Can read the first 11 verses of Matthew chapter 4? But then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said. If you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. May God bless his precious word to us this morning. To his name be the praise and the glory. I've got quite a few points today, but... I brought actually copies of the address. I've got 15 copies, so you can take a copy home with you and feel quite relaxed. But there's quite a few points to this message this morning. As you know, this is a a special season in the Christian year, which is called Lent. And the word Lent comes from a word which means springtime. And it begins, as I'm sure you all know, at Ash Wednesday. That's the beginning of Lent, and it lasts for 40 days leading up to Easter. And as some of you may know, at Ash Wednesday you see folk with uh, some ash on their brow. And the reason for that, of course, in the Bible, when people repented, they would repent in dust and ashes. So it really was a kind of mark of repentance on people in biblical days, in the Old Testament especially. And we find that that happens in some, some churches today. But also during that time of Lent, it was a time of fasting rather than feasting. And so you find that even today people will say, I've given up such and such for Lent. Other churches might use the season of Lent, the 40 days, to get together around the Word of God in preparation for Easter. But one passage of scripture that uh, is sure to come up at this time of the year is the story of the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. It's interesting that after his baptism, that very high moment in the life of Jesus, we find that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted He was not exempt from temptation. In fact, the Bible tells us that he was tempted in all points, just as we are, yet without sin. Let's look at these temptations then this morning and look at them as temptations to power 
Or we could look at them under the theme of how do you do God's will in this world? You don't need me to tell you that the world today is full of people who are seeking power. We think of Putin getting back into Russia again as a leader. But we're not thinking just of the power to dictate people's lives, but the the power of influence. And sometimes it takes only a few people to influence a majority in terms of evil or going against the word of God. And it seems at times that the devil has stolen the hearts of of so many people and they're so wayward and there's so much into evil that as Christians we sometimes feel like giving up. And yet uh, Paul the Apostle tells us, don't you realise that this glorious gospel has great power? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. So we have this tremendous power of the gospel. Let's look at the devil, how he seeks to influence Jesus by his power. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Matthew chapter 4. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. You notice that this temptation comes to Jesus at his lowest physically. After 40 days of fasting, he was hungry. And what was Satan really saying to Jesus with this temptation? What was he really saying to the Savior? He was really saying this, Lord, you've got the power, use it. Turn these stones into bread. You've got the power, use it. And no doubt there are those in the world today who would like to have a Jesus who came into this world and could do something magic. And turn stones into bread. Think of the usefulness that would be for the the poverty of Jesus' time. Just going around and commanding stones to become bread. And that would be fantastic. And some people would would have liked that. Sensationalism. And yet you can see in these words how the enemy seeks to doubt Jesus' relationship with the Father in his hour of trial. If you are the Son of God. And sometimes that happens to each one of us. That in our hour of weakness, in our hour of trial, he seeks to come along and to help you to doubt or tempt you to doubt your relationship with God. As a son and daughter of the living God. The devil is always seeking here to tempt Jesus to doubt the divine, the divine care and love that the Father has. He brings him into that area of convincing Jesus of some kind of divine forgetfulness. You see, with Satan, God's delays mean God's denials. And we know that isn't always true, is it? God's delays are not always his denials. I wonder how many of us have hit some real trial and under our breath we mutter, Where is God in all this? Where is God in all this? Why does it have to be my family and and my health and my job that all this comes upon, this affliction? But you know we praise God for those who have a, a living, powerful testimony, who have come through these trials and found that their faith has been strengthened and increased and blessed them in a powerful way. And, and we've met people like that. 
So we come to our weak moments and we find, I just feel like giving up. Where's God in all this? There's somebody else, another believer, who have come through the trial and found their faith to be strengthening and discovered that God's delays are not his denial. But there's something else here. But not only is Satan trying to get Jesus to doubt the Father's love and care if you are the Son of God, he's also trying to get Jesus to do the right thing in the wrong way. Nothing wrong with uh, satisfying your hunger. That can't be wrong in itself. Nothing wrong in taking food. But Jesus knew that the Holy Spirit had led him into the wilderness these 40 days. And the Holy Spirit would lead him out. And that God had sustained him through 40 days. And that God would sustain him through the 41st day. And sometimes the devil comes as an angel of light. And it seems all so innocent. Why don't you keep gambling on the lottery? Don't you realise that you're helping <clears throat> so many, many charities? While some of the poorest people, those that haven't got much to rub together, are spending sometimes £20 to try and make millions. I watch it myself. You ever been in a shop where somebody comes in for a packet of cigarettes and what I think might be a lottery ticket and they ring it up, that'll be £20 please. And the devil thinks, you know, this is to help charity. And sometimes the devil comes and says to us, why don't you do something good? You don't need the church. You don't need to be a Christian to do good things. And these good things will stand you in good stead and influence other people. But don't think about the church or any of these other things. And the devil is an advocate of the ends always justify the means. Doesn't matter how you get there, as long as you do some good in this world. And there are thousands of people who are under the impression that doing good is all you have to do in life. It comes like an angel flag. You need to satisfy your hunger. But Jesus began his ministry with a manifesto. Do you remember that manifesto in Luke chapter 4? The Spirit of God is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus said, I want to identify with the poor. I want to bind up the brokenhearted. I want to touch people's lives. I want to identify them in as much as you have done it to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. You see, Jesus wasn't forgetting about the poor and those who were hungry. He wanted to identify with them. And how does Jesus answer? Say, look at verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. Notice Jesus said, It is written. Three times Jesus says, It is written. It is written. It is written. And in Hebrew thought, that's it settled. That's it settled. It has been written down. And in Hebrew mind, that's it really settled. Remember the devil says to Eve, has God said? It's almost like Jesus answering that question and saying, God has said, and it's written there. And it stands. He's true to his word. Man lives, as Jesus says, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not just some words, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And that's so important because this is the creative and the energizing and sustaining power of God. And as you know from the Old Testament creation scene that when God spoke, things happened. And that's the kind of sustaining power of the word of God that Jesus was quoting here when he spoke to the devil.
But the Jesus did not say, I do not live by a bread alone. He says, man does not live by a bread alone. That's true of all of us. And Satan is trying to get Jesus to turn stones into bread. He's seeking to divert Jesus from the will of God. Let me go over that. There are three things that happen here in this first temptation. Number one, to doubt the Father's love and care if you are the Son of God. Number two, to do the right thing in the wrong way to satisfy a hunger. And number three, to divert Jesus from the will of God. Christ did not came, come to do these sensational turning stones into bread stuff. And Jesus knew there was more to life than, than physical needs. There were other needs that were crying out for attention. And one of them was to do the will of the Father in heaven. Jesus could have said with the psalmist, I come to do your will, O God. He also said in the, in the Gospels, he said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And that time in, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, where the disciples said, Lord, you need to eat something. He said, my meat is to do the will of the Father who is in heaven. That's my meat. I wonder how successful the enemy has been in your life to divert you away from the will of God for your heart and life. How successful has he been to divert your attention away from the will of God for you? Is doing the will of God more important than the food, the very food that your body craves for? Is doing the will of God more important even than that? Let's go to the second temptation in verses 5 and 6. And the devil, devil took him up to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. In the first temptation, the devil is saying, you've got the power, use it, turn these stones into bread. In the second temptation, the devil is actually saying, God has the power, test it. Test it. Jump. Did you know that Satan could quote scripture? But on the authority of scripture, he suggests an uncalled for display of divine power. Now for myself, you might disagree with me here, you're entitled to do that. For myself, I don't believe that Jesus moved out of the wilderness for standing on the pinnacle of a temple about the mountain. I think it was a vision. You might disagree with that. John Calvin agrees that he didn't move away from the wilderness. That's quite an authority, isn't it? John Calvin, the great reformer. If you look at uh, sometime in your home, Ezekiel 40 and verse 2 and, and Revelation 21 and 10, you see that in both these verses, they are led up a mountain. It says regarding Ezekiel, in a vision he was led up the mountain. And in Revelation 21 10, John in the spirit was led up a mountain. I believe the same thing happened here in Jesus. I don't think he moved from the wilderness. I think in a vision he was standing there. The devil took him in that vision to the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle would be 450 feet above the Kidron Valley. From the top of the temple, the pinnacle right down to the valley would be 450 feet. Notice how the devil uses the same tactic. If you are the Son of God. And here's Jesus' relationship with the Father being put to the test for a second time. And you see, Satan has got his own ideas of what the Son of God should do. Number one is, he should be able to satisfy his hunger by turning stones into bread. Number two, he should be able to do a spectacular leap before a crowd and show them how God can keep his word. That's how the devil thinks. 
some commentators point out that when the devil quotes Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12, he misses out in some very important words. Verse 11 of Psalm 91 says, For he will give his angels charge of you to guard you in all your ways. The devil misses that out. And God did not say that he would protect you in all your follies. It says in that psalm, he will protect you in all your ways. And what's, re- what's re- behind that is all your righteous ways. And when you're walking in the way of the Lord, he will protect you, he will guard you, he will be with you. And some commentators feel that's important. If the situation arose where Jesus had to jump from the pinnacle of a temple in duty for God and, and the work of God, then God would protect him. You see, God isn't into clamouring after the crowd for the sensational and the spectacular. I think it was last year my wife and I were in in the States. Wasn't it last year, wasn't it? We went to Niagara, Niagara Falls. And I think I mentioned in one of the talks I had here with the kids that there's this book about the daredevils of the Niagara Falls. And remembers that Blondin, I can't remember the guy's name, who went across on a tightrope. Now you'd have thought the crowd would have been satisfied with that. No, no, they wanted to see something more. So he went in a barrel, and somebody in a barrel, or he went and put something on his shoulder. And a woman did it as well, just to complete things. And no matter what they did, the crowd was never satisfied. Somebody tried it in a barrel. And over a barrel, had his legs tied to an anvil. And the anvil went, and his legs went one way, and his body went the other way. <laughs> he actually died, by the way. And so many people have tried this daredevil thing in Niagara Falls, and the crowd were never satisfied. For God's not into that. And neither is the Lord Jesus. He refused the sensational to draw a crowd. When people or crowds came to Jesus, because he spoke the word with authority, not like the scribes and the Pharisees. They came because of the parables. They could understand the stories. <clears throat> and yet there are those today who want to attract others to themselves. By the sensational acting or sensational dress or by their wealthy lifestyle. And churches didn't even try it. <clears throat> I thought there's no future in that, in the sensational. You know this? I don't want to cut out the spectacular. Because God by his Holy Spirit can do spectacular things in the church of Jesus Christ. We don't want to be so mediocre that there's nothing spectacular happens. But Jesus is not into the sensational. <clears throat> Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century said this. Faith is for the ways of obedience, not flights of fancy. Faith is for the ways of obedience, not flights of fancy. Spurgeon had this prayer. Lord, let me not cast myself down and so throw myself out of the range of thy promise keeping. Help me not cast myself down and so throw myself out of the range of thy promise keeping. How does Jesus answer the devil? Look at verse, uh, the answer there. It is written, you do, not, you do not put the Lord your God to the test. And what is Satan trying to do? He's trying to get Jesus to tempt God rather than trust God. And that's not the way of faith. Faith is not to presume upon God. Faith is to trust God. Not to tempt God, but to trust God. That's the basis of our faith. And perhaps the Lord is saying to you and to me today, when you trust me as you've never trusted before, there's some things going on in their life and it's not to presume upon God. What's really required is a, a new trust on the Lord. 
to trust him with that situation that you're facing this morning, to trust him with that family need, with that job requirement, whatever it might be. Let me take the third temptation in verses 8 and 9. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdom of the world and the splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Let me just recap. So far the devil's been saying to Jesus, Lord, you've got the power, use it, turn the stones into bread. Secondly, God has the power, test it. Then thirdly, the devil is actually saying to Jesus, I've got the power, you bow to it. Bow to it. And Satan's aim is twofold here. Notice the words, all this, or all these things, if you're an older version of the Bible. All these things will I give you. And that's always the devil's inducement, things. He just loves to help us sacrifice all our principles for his possessions. All these things, with all the splendor, I will give to you. And the trouble is, so many people don't see the catch. Do you see the catch? If you will bow down and worship me. I'll give you all these things, and their splendor. And the catch is, if you bow down and worship me. No, no, people say, I can have all these things and I don't need to worship the devil. What does Jesus say? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole wide world and loses his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? What profit is it? And Jesus knew exactly what it meant to sacrifice principles for possessions. Notice how Satan's second name here is not only tempting Jesus to sacrifice principles for possessions, but more seriously to shun the cross for the crown. And Satan is implying here to Jesus that he ought to take the shortcuts. And he can all these kingdoms that he can have, with all the splendor, he can have them without going to the cross. You know, friends, all these kingdoms are going to belong to Jesus anyway after this. But only by way of the cross. Only by way of the cross will the kingdom of this world become his kingdoms. And the temptation here is to take the easy road and to become sovereign without suffering, to be crowned without being crucified. And how grateful we are. Our Lord didn't yield to that third temptation, aren't we? How grateful we were. He didn't shun the cross. This is not going to be the only time that Satan tried to get Jesus to shun the cross. You remember that time when Jesus speaks to the disciples that he was going to be crucified and Peter said this and he misunderstood. Peter said, Lord, it won't happen to you. But did Jesus say, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. I wonder how many of you have been tempted or know people who have been tempted to shun the cross for the crown. What do I mean by that? I mean, how many of you know people who have never knelt? At the foot of that old rugged cross. And it might be you're here this morning. And you've never knelt there. At the foot of the old rugged cross. You see Satan's got a gospel. But there's no cross in it. And there's many many churches. Preach that kind of gospel. They've got some kind of message. But there's no cross in it. There's no challenge for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ and to kneel at the foot of that old rugged cross. And the Bible teaches here that even in our Christian lives and the discipline of our Christian walk with the Lord, there's a cross in it. Jesus says, take up the cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Die to self. Take up the cross and follow me, he says. And the old chorus said, if you will not bear the cross, you can't wear the crown. 
had as Jesus answer saying, look at verse 10. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Notice Jesus in his reply for the very first time in these temptations. For the very first time, he gives Satan his proper name. Satan! Away with you, Satan. Be gone, Satan. You see, the devil has betrayed his own character and now he gets his proper name. He is the adversary. And sometimes, you know, people dress up the devil. Dress him up as something entirely different. And here is Jesus giving him his proper name. He is the father of lies. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's also the accuser of the Baptist as well when it comes to that. But <laughs> we're apt to dress up the devil and call him all sorts of good things. And if we don't realize it, he is the father of lies and he's the worldly wise man. He is the adversary. Notice how Jesus finds the power to say, away with me, away with you, Satan. Be gone, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. But an encouragement that is to us as believers that there's such a thing as the overcoming power of Christ that allows us to say, away with you, Satan. Be gone, Satan. I'm not having your authority in my life anymore. Or in this church anymore. There's a power, an overcoming power that only Christ can give us. Let me just go over these things because the power of the Christ can actually bind the strong man. Number one is this. We need to give the devil his proper name. He appears sometimes an angel of light, but he is Satan, the adversary, the accuser. Number two, we need to use the overcoming power of Christ to be able to say, get behind me, Satan. Away with you, Satan. Be gone, Satan. And finally, we need to remind him that worship and service are inextricably bound together. At first, you see, Jesus uh, said, Satan only asked Jesus to look. He only asked Jesus to look. I want you to look at all these kingdoms and the splendor of it. The command was to look, followed by the command to bow. And that's how it works. And Jesus knew that to bow before Satan was to worship and to serve. And Jesus would have none of it. He knew that worship was not for an hour or two in every Sunday, but worship for the whole of life. And when Satan said, I want you to worship me and to serve me, it wasn't just for an hour or two, it was for the whole of life. He wants all of us, Satan does. Just as Jesus does as well. He used to sing that lovely chorus, I want to worship the Lord with all of my heart. Give him my all, not just a part. Lift up my hands to the King of Kings. Praise him in everything. That's why we can't worship Satan. To do so is to submit to a power that wants our whole life and service. It begins with the looking of the eyes. It goes to the bending of the knees. It leads to the yielding of the life. That's why we can't worship and serve the enemy of our souls. Jesus, you see, overcame not by quoting scripture. He overcame by applying the scripture that he quoted. He applied the words, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He applied the words, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He applied the words, you shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. And it's only when the word of God becomes real in our hearts that we can overcome these temptations of the devil. The devil trying to say to Jesus, Jesus, you've got the power, use it. God has the power, test it. I've got the power, bow to it. But Jesus would have none of it. And neither should we. You see, friends, the important difference between the devil and Jesus is simply this. The devil is into the love of power. But Jesus 
is into the power of love. He's into the power of love. And there's something tremendous about that. That's the difference that Jesus makes. The power of his love will see us through. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Oh, loving God, we just want to come against the enemy today. There are things going on, perhaps, in our lives, and it's the work of the enemy. We want to say, Be gone, Satan. Away with you, Satan. Given the power that only you can give us, we can say no to that temptation that comes upon us so easily. And no man's been tempted above that he is able. But God is faithful. And with that temptation, there'll be a way of escape. That we might be able to bear it. Lord, will you help us to discover the truth of that verse. And may you continue to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.